Humans organize into groups. There are lots of group types. Religions, corporations, national governments, state governments, citizenries, clubs, musical bands. Every group has governance. Governance defines the rules and the ways that rules change. The United States requires citizens to pay taxes. A corporation requires you to show up to work, but the corporation has to pay you a salary. Most groups today are managed by people. If you break a law, you have to go to court and sit in front of a judge and a jury. And those are the people who decide how you will get punished. If you work at a corporation and you have a problem with your manager, you go to HR and HR arbitrates that problem. These organizations that we're discussing are centralized. There's a governing body who sets the rules, and if there's an ambiguity, the person who happens to be in power at any given time gets to decide how that ambiguity is resolved. Power is centralized in that governing body. So these organizations are run by people. The governance of the organization is enforced only to the extent that the human governance carries out its duties. A decentralized autonomous organization is a group that can run without either centralized or human intervention. It is decentralized and autonomous. It is a DAO, a decentralized autonomous organization. Aragon is a platform for running and managing decentralized autonomous organizations. Luis Quinde is the founder of Aragon, and he joins the show to explain what a DAO is and why people would want to create them, and what kinds of organizations can you or can you not create on a blockchain? Can you create any type of organization, or are there restrictions? We also talk about the engineering of Aragon and the structure of its ICO, which raised $25 million via token sale. It's a great episode. I think you're going to like it. And I want to mention that meetups for Software Engineering Daily are being planned. You can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com slash meetup if you want to register for an upcoming meetup. In March, I'll be visiting Datadog in New York and HubSpot in Boston. And in April, I will be at Telesign in LA. I would love to see you at one of these meetups. And with that, let's get on with this episode. Luis Quinde is a co-founder of Aragon. Luis, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Yeah, thank you for having me. Your company, Aragon, is focused on changing the way that organizations can form. So around the world, we have a lot of different kinds of organizations. We've got corporations, we've got churches, we've got governments. What causes organizations to form? Well, so it's interesting because the really the, the first person to think deeply about that was Nobel Prize Ronald Coase, and that was like many decades ago. But basically, he argues that firms or organizations form due to transaction costs. Like it's easier to operate with a group of people that you know and that you trust instead of a random like group of people or not even a group of people, but just like random freelancers or contractors that you meet like you know using the internet. And while that's also a very powerful way to organize, like, you know, just having projects that are, for example, open source and jumping into those without knowing each other and just knowing each other from the internet, there is also value in having, like, organizations or firms. But it's also true that also an open source project can be considered an organization because it's just, like, a bunch of people organizing around the same vision or goal. And so it is really that. It is really just a bunch of people organizing towards a common goal and therefore optimizing everything they have to achieve that goal. Some organizations have formal incentives. 
So a job pays you a salary. That is a formal incentive for a worker to work a job at a company. In other organizations, the incentives can be less formal. Like in my family, I know that there are incentives in place. I know that I'm going to be rewarded if I fulfill the tasks that I'm incentivized to fulfill, but it's a little bit less clear what those incentives are. Maybe it's being a good brother or being a good son, whatever those things mean. And in return, maybe that behavior is reciprocated to me. So there are two examples there. Example of somebody working for a salary and the example of somebody being a member of a family where in one case you have very clearly defined incentives. In another case, you have less clearly defined incentives in both cases, the organization seems to function relatively well. Is it important for an organization to clearly define its incentive structure? I believe so, because if you make them transparent, if you define them, for example, like in a smart contract in which you know how everything works, you know all the actions you can perform and the results or the outcomes they have in terms of rewards, for example, and that really incentivizes people to participate if they actually know what they are getting in exchange for their work. So, I mean, there are scenarios, for example, again, with open source software, incentives are not that clear historically, and people just contribute a lot of times because they like altruism, and they don't really expect anything in exchange. But what's true is that if we actually, for example, incentivize those contributors to actually be rewarded, then I'm sure the number of contributions would actually go up pretty quickly. So what I would say is, yeah, there are a lot of instances that don't really have clear incentives that work or that they have very obscure, even like, you know, their incentives is kind of a black box and you don't really know how they work. But I think that the systems that are transparent in terms of incentives will totally outperform them. I tend to agree with you. And if it weren't so taboo, I would probably try to set up a system of smart contracts among my family to better regulate <laughs> proper behavior. <laughs> well, I mean, you could technically do that. I don't know how that would play out. But if you do so, please like do a documentary or something. Can I use Aragon for that? Well, you could even for your, <laughs> I don't know, for your marriage or whatever. Yeah. Okay, let's let's use that as a use case to just like get us into what Aragon is. So let's say so Aragon is is for setting up decentralized autonomous organizations and that term has been overloaded in different places. I guess before we jump into an example of using a Aragon set of contracts to create a family, let's define that term. What does decentralized autonomous organization mean to you? So decentralized autonomous organization or just DAO is a set of smart contracts or a set of incentives that are built on chain, that means on a blockchain, and that incentivize different rewards or ways of cooperation. So a DAO could be something so simple such as Bitcoin. Basically, Bitcoin organizes people to mine Bitcoin and to contribute computing power to secure the network. It organizes people to do that in a pretty seamless and transparent way. And it's totally autonomous. Like There is no central party that can take down the whole system. So that's a very basic example of a DAO. But it can be even things that are more complex. So it can be, for example, like the DAO, which was the first... DAO project in the wild and that basically was like a VC fund so to say and so people put money there and then you fund proposals like basically by letting people vote what to fund so it can be really a lot of different things I think the canonical definition is an entity that can run by itself 
and obviously with human intervention, but it tends to organize humans in a way that it achieves its own goal. Mm-hmm. We'll scratch the family example for now. Maybe we could return to it a little bit later, but let's talk more about DAOs. What are the problems that could be solved if we had more widespread use of decentralized organizations? Well, so I think one of them is accountability, and it goes from the small firms, like, for example, non-profits, and, you know, knowing what the funds are spent for, to huge things, for example, like government spending. Like right now, you don't really know where your taxes go, and if you know, they're probably paying like 10x what, like, you know, the private market could offer for the services the government gives you and stuff like that. So it really helps with accountability and it also helps with decision making. So there are a lot of use cases where you need to coordinate a huge number of people, like millions of persons around common goods. For example, think about Twitter or Facebook. They are run by centralized organizations, centralized companies. And the issue with that is that, for example, Facebook was able to help, maybe they didn't mean to, but to help like Russians take over the US elections and all of that. And if Facebook was a decentralized autonomous organization, you could have things such as decentralized filtering system to know what's fake news or not, and people in the world could actually vote. Whereas right now, Facebook is probably one of the biggest like nations in the world, and it's just controlled by one guy and like a management board, and that's it. And these sort of like digital common goods, such as social networks or open source projects and all of that can really benefit from involving millions of people in their decision-making process. So you can have a DAO and you can let people vote on, you know, how Twitter should work or Facebook should work or even nation states. So I believe DAOs are very good for that. Just aligning millions of people to have the same incentives and also to vote on very important topics uh, instead of having like a dictatorship kind of model. Okay, now that we have a basic idea of what a decentralized organization is and how it can help people, what's Aragon? Why did you start Aragon? What can people do with Aragon? So Aragon is the easiest way to organize people around decentralized autonomous organizations. So you can create your own DAO and you can invite people, you can give them tokens. You can also do voting and enable them to vote on very important decisions, such as, for example, where do the fans of the DAO go and how they are spent. But the cool thing is that the operating system that, that goes that powers Aragon, an IC operating system because it's a very sort of complex and modular approach, is a framework called Aragon OS in which basically you can define any permission for any app or a smart contract and let other apps consume it. So for example, you can have like a Vault app, which has all your assets and tokens, and then give permission to another finance app to withdraw up to like 50 tokens per day or stuff like that. So you can really create very complex and modular governance mechanisms, which is the first time in history you can do that because like previously, you could only sort of try out democracy or I don't know, things like dictatorship with people. But now you can sort of try out these new governance mechanisms on chain and with, you know, fully online. When I think about the different decentralized models that have had success, I think of Linux, I think of Bitcoin, and I think of Ethereum. And Linux and Ethereum both, in a sense, have had a centralized authority figure. Even though the development takes place on a centralized basis, there is a centralized authority figure. 
Bitcoin does not have a centralized authority figure. And you see positives and negatives for those approaches. So certainly with the centralized authority figure, there seems to be a tendency towards faster development. I mean, obviously, we have a very limited set of, of sample cases. So, you know, I don't mean to extrapolate this to, to everything. With Bitcoin, we have perhaps more aggressive adoption, because I think people have maybe more trust in Bitcoin, because it almost seems like this total, it is this headless organization. It is truly decentralized, whereas Ethereum or or Linux, you could argue, is, is somewhat centralized. I mean, Linux at this point, probably not. But so in any case, I'm just trying to illustrate that there are different ways to run a decentralized autonomous organization. In some cases, you want a head, and in some cases, you don't want a head. Does Aragon support a variety of different leadership models? Yeah, exactly. You can totally do that with Aragon. You can go from like a dictatorship kind of thing to a multi-sig, which means like having sort of a board of like multiple people that can decide or, you know, just like voting and have all your token holders decide on things. So yeah, it's very flexible. And I mean, I believe like dictatorship is a very good model for a lot of projects. And we're trying to sort of combine the good parts of having governance and not having it. Like, if you think about Bitcoin, for example, Bitcoin works well because uh, it has no governance. So they move really slow and that is a downside. But yeah, you said like people really trust it because it's a helpless organization. And whereas Ethereum has a clear sort of head and whereas its development is decentralized, you know, you have Vitalik who like everyone really trusts and, and likes so I believe you can really combine like the trust of having a helpless organization with also taking fast decisions by having a very clearly defined governance mechanism. But yeah, we totally support like different governance models. You can really build whatever whatever you want with Aragon. Okay. Well, we can return to talking about the high-level decentralized autonomous organization management and creation a little bit later. Since this is Software Engineering Daily, we should talk a little bit about software because I've done other shows of this flavor where we end up talking a little too much about the decentralized Uber network or the decentralized Airbnb or the day when the government falls and the world descends into utopian crypto anarchy. I want to talk about engineering. So what have you built so far with Aragon? Well, so... We have built a lot of different stuff because uh, in the Ethereum ecosystem and in crypto in general, there are a lot of things that are very early stage. So you got to build it yourself. So when we got started with uh, Aragon, it was like a simple way to manage like like companies, but on the blockchain. And then we figured out, oh, but we can like, you know, create a framework for people to create very rich apps that expose permissions to other apps, such as, you know, kind of following the Unix philosophy, having one app that does one thing well and lets other apps consume their functionality. And so we built our own like a smart contract framework called Aragon OS. Then we figured out that like people were signing Ethereum transactions without knowing what they were signing. So you could be signing like a payload that you know said that all your ether goes to you know 0x0000, which means that you are burning your ether or goes to like a hacker or whatever. So basically we figured out we needed a way for like users to understand their what they were signing, like the payloads. So we created like a sort of a DSL for like a smart contract, like human language translation. So you can decode that like hex input to like something human readable. Like you are sending your tokens to this person by sin- signing that transaction. 
So we also did that. Then we figured out, okay, this is beautiful, but what happens? Well, we need to update Aragon because, you know, we could update Aragon and basically change how everything works and stall, steal all the ether and all the funds from an organization. So we figured out we need a way to update it securely and also in a decentralized way that doesn't depend on us. So we also created a package manager, which is called APM, and basically uses IPFS and other decentralized technology to like push a lot of these data packages and also smart contracts to repos. And those repos can be can have any governance mechanism. So you can have like new versions of the software vetted by a community of like, you know, token holders that are incentivized not to like provide malware inside the software. So we also created that. And also a UI toolkit, because when people create apps for Aragon, there is a lot of stuff that is very dependent on like creating decentralized applications. For example, everything's asynchronous because you know you have to wait until the blockchain actually validates your transaction. So we also created a UI toolkit. So at this point, we are like creating an operating system almost with all the different pieces, which, I mean, it's a lot of work, but... You know, it just had to be done and crypto is very early. So when something is not built, you have to build it yourself. If I heard you correctly, you said that Aragon started as merely a DSL that sat on top of Ethereum? Well, no, it just started as a way to create like just kind of companies, but on Ethereum, like traditional companies on Ethereum. And then we kind of went from that to being like a super, super broad way to create any kind of decentralized organization or even like a blockchain protocol. Did it start as a set of tools before it matured into a whole platform and a tokenized set of infrastructure? We actually started as a very yeah, like user-friendly app, and then we actually built all the developer tooling. Uh, but first of all, it was like very user-focused, and now it's I mean it's both users because users can like use it, but also developers because developers can create apps on top of Aragon. So it's also very developer-focused. Okay, so the first version was just an app where you could spin up a, a company, but it was a company that was managed directly by Ethereum smart contracts. I mean, you drew up a DSL that defined what you wanted the Ethereum smart contracts to be, but it was in human-readable language rather than Solidity. And then it was only later on that you turned into a tokenized platform. Is that right? Well, basically, the first version was just a way to create like companies and very like traditional sort of companies. Like you know, you had your cap mm-hmm. table and you had like your board and voting or whatever. And now it's super extendable, flexible, and not for only that niche, but can be extended. Like I think a good analogy is like Emacs. Like it started being just a text editor, and now it's just like you can do crazy stuff on Emacs. So I think that's a good analogy, probably. Understood. Describe a little bit more the interaction between Aragon and Ethereum as it stands today. So today, all the Aragon organizations are based on Ethereum smart contracts. So Ethereum is a Turing-complete smart contract-like blockchain. So you can create any sort of like application on top of it. And basically, all the Aragon apps are smart contracts themselves. And it is truly 100% built on Ethereum, which doesn't mean that it's not compatible with other blockchains. There are other blockchains that also have the virtual machine that Ethereum has. But right now, it's very, very, very based on Ethereum. Mm. Now, in Ethereum, code is law. So once a contract is deployed, it cannot change. And if you wanted to 
program mutability into your organization and you wanted to build that into Ethereum, an Ethereum contract, you would have to make a forwarding contract that would point to other subcontracts because the contracts themselves are immutable. So you would, if you wanted to change your organization, you would have to change the forwarding contract. You would have to change the address that it's forwarding different functionality to. And this seems like an interesting challenge for Aragon because obviously corporations change over time. So you have to program mutability into the contracting and subcontracting system. Tell me a little bit about how mutability works in Aragon. Yeah, exactly. That was another thing that we had to build ourselves because that there, like, no one built it before us. That was upgradeability. And uh, so basically how it works, as you kind of described, we have forwarders. And so forwarders basically take an action and forward it to any other entity. So a good example of how forwarders work, like with a voting app, for example, if you want to execute an action on Aragon, but you don't have the permissions to do so. For example, you are a random token holder, but you want your decentralized organization to send some funds to whatever, to another contract on Ethereum, but you don't have the permissions to do so. What you do is you forward your intent to perform their action to the voting app. And then if the voting passes, the voting, which actually like has permissions to execute the withdrawal of the funds, performs their action for you. So that's how a little bit how forwarders work on Aragon. And then for upgradeability, we actually had to implement this sort of like proxy where you basically update the contract that it actually points to. So basically you have two contracts. You have like a proxy contract and then you have the actual contract that has the code of the app. So how that works in Aragon is Aragon has a kernel. And so this kernel is basically an ACL, an access control list, such as the one that you know you have in Linux or other Unix-based operating systems. And basically this ACL, like for example, knows that there is a voting app. And so the kernel asks the ACL, hey, you know, where is this voting app located? And the ACL basically says, this voting app is here. And then you query the voting app and you are actually querying the proxy not the voting app itself. And then the proxy, basically, from the proxy, you go to the voting app itself, which is the one that contains the code. So this is a bit abstract. Uh, there is a blog post on, on our blog on, on Argon OS. It's just like Argon OS 3.0, which is the version that implements all of this. But basically, you are able to have multiple versions of a smart contract. And the kernel keeps track of which version is the one that actually contains the code. Because all the other sort of like generic proxies are just like forwarders so you know you call them and actually what happens is that they will call the smart contract that actually contains the code and not the proxy which is like an empty cell so to say let's go back to the high level i started software engineering daily in 2015 let's go back to 2015 let's pretend i had not started my company yet and i was starting software engineering daily and I've got myself and my co-founder, and let's say I'm going to hire one employee, and they're going to have some some four-year vesting schedule. And I don't want to go through the work of setting up an LLC in the United States because it's kind of annoying. Got to fill out some paperwork. So I decided to do it through a DAO. If I wanted to set up Software Engineering Daily through Aragon, what would I do? 
So you could create like a token and that could be the you know, software engineering token, for example, or something like that. And then you could give out a vesting grant to your employee. And basically that vesting grant could be revocable by, uh, by you in case the employee leaves or whatever. And then the employee could automatically get their tokens vested. And the funny part about all of this is that you don't have to do anything like each block each Ethereum block, which happens each 14 seconds, the employee could actually, you know, get tokens as as he vests as the the stock, and also you could do payroll, which is something very interesting because we're actually going to do payroll internally with an Argon app starting next month, and with this new payroll app that we built, you can say, you know, I want 30% of Ether, for example, and 30% of the token itself, and 30% of like a stable coin that pegs the, its value to dollars. So you actually get some portion of your salary in dollars. And then you can actually withdraw your proportional part of the salary each block. So like, you know, or each day or each week or whatever. So you have to wait until the end of the month, because if you think about it, like payroll is usually done at the week or the month because it's annoying and someone has to do it and you don't want to annoy that person every single day. But with the smart contracts, you can do that. You can withdraw your salary like each 14 seconds, each block or each day or whatever, and it's perfectly fine. Well, that's a really perfect example of streaming money, which is one of the things that people really look forward to once some of the scalability challenges and adoption challenges are overcome in terms of cryptocurrencies. So payroll, for example, you could just orchestrate that through a smart contract. So delve a little bit deeper into that. So smart contract development is not something we've covered in depth yet. We've got some upcoming episodes on it. So what you're saying is any organization that sets up on top of Aragon, a DAO, let's say Software Engineering Daily, you know, first of all, you, you mentioned that we can have this token issuance that will vest over time and it will vest programmatically. And the token in that case really would resemble equity in the company. Like that, we would codify that in comparison to some of the ICOs that we've seen where your your token doesn't necessarily represent equity. In this case, you're really talking about the token representing equity in the software engineering daily decentralized autonomous organization, much like I might give away equity in my LLC or in my C corporation. There's really, you know, not much different there. And then payroll, I think, is a, is a really interesting example because payroll is such a perfect use case for setting up a smart contract. And if I'm looking into my uh, Software Engineering Daily DAO dashboard on Aragon and I just want to do one-click setup payroll, you could very easily imagine a smart contract being spun up that has certain parameters for fulfilling payroll. So is that how it would work? Would it would it literally spin up a brand new smart contract or does Aragon itself have some payroll contract that's already set up and all you would have to do is parameterize some mappings for Software Engineering Daily so that Software Engineering Daily has payroll on the same smart contract? Like, Would you want to set up your own Software Engineering Daily payroll smart contract or reuse some internal one within Aragon? So what we do in the case is when you deploy your own DAO, you are deploying your smart your own smart contracts. And then this raises a very interesting point. Which version of the smart contract are you using? Are you using your own version or are you using some other canonical version? And you can actually do both. You can either, like, it's all open source, so you could deploy your own smart contract for doing payroll. Or 
you could use a canonical version that we offer in our code repos and you can just you know use that version and that's it which is very easy so in any case like everything is open source so you could actually use our implementation and you know when you deploy a new instance of of the payroll app you can create a new smart contract and parameterize as you want but it's very interesting because also you know all of these operations take a lot of what's called gas in ethereum which is basically the, the computation <laughs> yes. that it takes for the network to actually perform all your operations in the smart contract and so we have set up this way of creating new smart contracts called factories. And so factories basically contain a lot of code. And when you call it, they replicate, they clone their code into another smart contract, which is way cheaper than actually deploying a new version. So in that sense, if you use our own like smart contract in our code repo, it's, mass, it's much easier and cheaper for you. The token question where... When I set up Software Engineering Daily as a DAO and I issue a token over a vesting schedule to my co-founder and my employee, actually, let's say we have a disagreement. Let's say we have a disagreement over what equity the parting employee should get. In the centralized company world, the argument could be mediated by somebody who's very familiar in LLC law or in corporate law, whatever, and they could regulate that. But in the decentralized world, what happens there? Like, if we have a disagreement over the equity, and also, this begs the question, what even defines that token being worth something? I guess if the Software Engineering Daily DAO also offers the tokens on the public market, then there's sort of an open market for them. But how do these tokens that I'm spinning up for Software Engineering Daily, the DAO, how do these have value? How do they have legally binding value? And how are legal issues disintermediated? Yeah, those are very like very interesting questions. For one of them, like the value of the tokens, if they are not publicly tradable, then it will be the same as, for example, how startups are valued in the sense that you know they have investment rounds and or how companies are valued, like they are uh, private companies are valued. Uh, in terms of some parameters, just the revenue and all of that. And so it's really a very illiquid market. And I think that tokens can really help have like, you know, provide a lot of liquidity to those tokens. So ideally, every single token will be tradable and then therefore you get like a market price. So that's one thing. And for the other thing, like how do you resolve disputes in a smart contract? And that's very interesting because smart contracts are sort of the, in the middle of humans and machines uh, they represent human intent but they are executed by machines and so therefore there are a lot of subjective subjective issues that humans know about but machines don't really know about and so for that we are we're building what's called the Aragon network which is basically the first like fully digital jurisdiction. So we noticed that there are multiple things that nation states provide for companies and for people that are actually very well thought out. One of them is one of them is uh, this dispute resolution. This you know you can go to court and make sure that if someone does something to you that is not correct, you can go and actually you know resolve the dispute. So we want to actually create a decentralized court in which judges can be like anywhere in the world, and they can participate in exchange of having a small stake in the system. And if they actually perform the right calls, they get rewarded, and if not, they get slashed. And so I think that's an interesting way of looking at it. Just, you know, repl let's replicate the things that work well in the traditional world, which are probably 
like judges and courts. And I mean, they are very slow and that's something that we want to fix with our decentralized court mechanism. We want cases to be resolved in hours and not like months of years because that's the bottleneck in the traditional system. But yeah, I think you could have a clause in your smart contract which says, you know, this parameter can be changed by an external party, which is this arbitration smart contract, which can actually change things if and only if a set of judges actually approves that changes and gives you, basically makes you win the sentence. Okay, let's go a little bit deeper. In traditional equity markets, if I I remember correctly, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe what is ultimately giving value to a share of a company is that you have voting rights or voting rights slash ownership rights. If you own all the stock in an organization, you can take control of that company. So if Google owned all of the shares of Facebook, for example, Google could have the power to redirect all of the free cash flows of Facebook into Google's coffers. And because of that fact, that is what leads to these you know, disparate shares of Facebook having value on the open market is because it's ultimately a share of an organization. It's a, it's a voting right. It's a percentage ownership. And by having you know, a preponderance of those, you can have control over the free cash flows of that organization. Now, with tokens, this can become a little bit more confusing because tokens can have utility as well as representing ownership. Actually, in most cases, they suppose they purport to have utility. Whether or not they actually have utility uh, is quite more of an open question. But in the case of like IPFS, for example, you know, Filecoin purports to be utility. You know, you can use it to pay for essentially storage. It, but it's not having shares in the Filecoin protocol, like explicitly. It's not explicitly shares, it's a utility token. And so when I spin up Software Engineering Daily, the DAO, my token, Software Engineering Daily is a podcast. So it's not like, I mean, maybe I could do, okay, you can spend that token on merchandise in the store or something, but that's not really what we're saying here. We're actually saying this is an ownership stake. And if somebody were to somehow acquire all of the Software Engineering Daily DAO tokens, they should be able to redirect the free cash flows of Software Engineering Daily into their own organization. So if Vox Media wants to acquire Software Engineering Daily and make it part of their podcast network, there should be some hypothetical route to them acquiring all of the Software Engineering Daily DAO tokens and then redirecting all of the cash flows. So help me understand that entire picture are you replicating that same system of organizational management and acquisition and shareholding or are you thinking of doing something completely different we are not very opinionated at this point right now with Aragon, you can really do both so for example if you want to like replicate how like you know companies work today then what will you do is you would create a token and then give token holders permissions to withdraw funds if 51% of the voting power actually decides to withdraw funds. And you can also give them, like, as I said, like voting power over decisions. And then uh, you have like a fully fledged like equity over you know dividends and, and all of that. Um, so you can do that, or you can really do like a utility token, like you were talking about Filecoin. You can do the same thing where your tokens actually are like a ticket to a service or something like that. So you can really do both. Uh, the beautiful thing about it is it depends how you save your permissions. Like 
you know, you have multiple apps and depending on how you connect them and how you assign permissions to each app and how you assign permissions to token holders to what they can do, you know, you can really program whatever you want. You can even, if you want to replicate like some of the way some public companies work, for example, Google, which has multiple kinds of stocks, you can do that with Aragon too. You can create like multiple tokens and then one of them has dividends plus voting power and the other one, you know, only has dividends power and not voting power, for example. So you can really like create these sort of like combinations and it's all very simple. Like there is a permissions interface and you basically can assign permissions to each of the apps to what they can do in other apps and also what token holders can do. If they can withdraw funds, if they can withdraw dividends, if they can do a lot of this stuff. But I think that a lot of interesting models will come out not on the traditional companies front, but all on the more like experimentation front of what you can do with new kind of assets that are not equities, but are, you know, something else. I want to come back to the question of cash flows, because I've heard in multiple places, when you're talking about traditional companies, if you're evaluating what the worth of a company should be, like the market value of a company, you should try to evaluate what the present value of the future cash flows of the company should be. And again, that's maybe entirely because if you acquired that organization, you would get to redirect all of the cash flows, present and future, to your own coffers. So is that to say that in order for these autonomous organizations, these decentralized autonomous organizations that people start with in Aragon, in order for these to be tokenized and for that token to be binding in a way that would be meaningful, you would need to have all of the payments and the cash flows of these organizations coming through the Aragon network? Well, you would certainly need them to be compatible with Ethereum network. So right now that means like Ethereum tokens. And I mean, probably the Ethereum guys are in other communities and are working on cross-chain compatibility. So probably other assets in other chains like Bitcoin, Zcash, all of these assets. And also there are people working on like oracles that can fetch data and interact with APIs in like the traditional web, so to say, like in the internet. So in the future, you could be able to actually own other assets, for example, like, you know, like real estate or stuff like that. But as of today, you can, or your DAO can only own assets issued on the Ethereum network. I see. So help me understand. So, you know, Software Engineering Daily gets, you know, paid by advertisers and that money comes into my bank account, just a money transfer, or I get a check. How far do you think we are from those payment rails being properly set up to have the cash flows coming through Ethereum or coming through uh, a side chain that's compatible with Aragon? Or, or maybe this is just a really, happens to be a really terrible example that is very far from spinning up in fact, I'm pretty sure at this point it is. <laughs> but maybe you have... What is an organization that... Like, what do you think will be the first set of organizations that will make a lot of sense to set up on Aragon? Because like, I, I don't mean to be like hard on the project. I think everything... We're still in very early days. And I'm I'm completely... I believe in your vision. I'm just trying to get a sense for 
how far we are from production use cases where Aragon really makes a lot of sense. Oh, I think we are super, super early, especially for the cases like you mentioned, like interacting with sort of the like the traditional world and like bank accounts and all of that. That will take a lot of time to set up, probably a couple of years even. But in the short term, I'm very excited about a couple of use cases. One of them is crypto projects, like, you know, basically token sales and projects that have done ICOs as well, where you have a large number of token holders that have contributed also a large number of funds. And right now they are just controlled by a single entity or like, a, you know, by two or three people. And that can be a problem. Like we have seen a couple of these projects just run with their money or the founders just getting rich overnight and then like cashing it out and, you know, just don't focus on the project anymore. And so with DAOs, you can really, you know, fundraise in having really strict rules on how you can spend that money. And also you can have transparency because, you know, everything is visible on chain. You can go to a blockchain explorer and see what the founders are spending their money into. So that's something that we are actually doing ourselves. If you go to transparency.aragon.one, you can see like basically like our expenses, like our day-to-day expenses. So I think crypto projects are gonna be the first users. And we have like seven projects that are already committed to like using this with their token holders uh, this year. So that will be interesting. And then we have another second use case, which I'm very excited about, which is open source projects. Like right now with open source, you don't really have any truly sustainable path. You can do consulting or stuff like that but it's really hard. And with open source projects, it's really easy to build in this sort of like decentralized governance. And so for example, create a token that represents the governance of the open source project in terms of features and roadmap and all of that. And then have the founding team and maintainers and contributors own that token. And if they do their job well, that token would appreciate in value because you know it represents governance power over the project. And if the project goes well, people will actually want to buy it. And so therefore you can provide a very sustainable path for open source projects, which I believe will be huge because I mean, if open source is working great, not having any like formal incentivization scheme, imagine if actually people were incentivized to contribute and maintain open source projects. Speaking of which, so Aragon had an ICO as you said, and you raised, I believe, $25 million worth of Ether in the token sale. So was there a lockup period for those coins after you did a token sale? You're talking about the transparency and stuff. Is there a some dispensation period, or do you get all the cash in your hands immediately? I mean, for the tokens, like for the ANT, which is Aragon's token, we actually, like as founders, have a vesting period. But then for the Ether we raised, it didn't have any sort of like lockup period. We just go it up front. And it's funny because, I mean, we would have loved to actually do this fundraise using a DAO and then, you know, having uh, vesting over the fans, over like different milestones and all of that. But it's kind of ironic because we are building that ourselves. So we couldn't do that in the first place. But our roadmap is that when we have the Aragon network deployed and we are able to actually give governance over the project to our token holders, then we will release a big part of the funds we raised to the token holders so they can actually like, they will be the ultimate owners of the funds and they will be able to like, do whatever they want with with it, which will be an amazing governance experiment. It will probably take a couple of years, though, because 
we don't want to like put you know hundreds of millions of dollars under the control of a super you know bleeding edge governance experiment but we will slowly transition the funds to the token holders fascinating so you're talking about transitioning the control of the actual ether you raised to the token holders yeah exactly Interesting. What about like taking some cash off the table? Have the founders gone to take, you know, a million or two or no. just, you know, <laughs> nothing like that? No, not at all. We, I mean, I have seen that in a couple of projects in the space and it's just terrible. Like I, we make sure that the people we hire are actually like not in for the money because I mean, we get that a lot of times. Like we, we raise a lot of money and people then are like, yeah, I want to work on this project because, you know, they might pay well. And Actually, not true. Like, we actually want to, like, underpay people because we actually want to get the best and the most motivated. So that also goes for the founders. Like, you know, we haven't taken any money off the table and, like, I would never do that. Basically, because it's just unfair to, like, if people give you money up front, which is very ironic because historically in the startup ecosystem, for example, you work on a project and then maybe some other startup or whatever buys you and then you get the cash. But here you are getting like a bunch of cash upfront. And so you have to be very careful not to fuck up your incentives because, you know, <laughs> they, they actually gave you the cash to work on the project, not to go and buy like Lambos or whatever. So first work on it and then do whatever you want with it. But first you have to actually deliver what you promise. And that's what we are building and basically heads down doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know we're up against time and this has just been a really fascinating conversation. So I'm sure we'll have to do another one in a couple of years or something or what. You know, you have some some more developments, but I want to close off on one other question about corporations, because, you know, I think having decentralized organizations as a way to structure your organization would be awesome. But corporations in the past, they have not been run democratically. There's no corporation that I know of that is really run democratically. They could have instituted internal voting systems. They could have had, you know, de mock decentralization in organizations and corporations. Why don't you think that has been done in corporations? Where have corporations just been? Is that just a structure in the past where you have wanted somebody at the top? Or I don't know. What are your theories for why there have not been? totally democratized, decentralized corporations in the past? Well, so there have been a couple cases where you have like structures that are closer to co-ops and people like elect democratically and have very democratic processes. The issue is that it was very impractical, like it was very slow and very bureaucratic. And also, I mean, it is even easy to forge votes in like government, like a you know government election. So think about forging votes for a company. It could be real easy. So it was very hard and slow. And I mean, today you can really vote in, in like, you know, 14 seconds until your transaction confirms. And it's totally impossible to fake, impossible to forge. So I think that is the real game changer here. Like there were things that were not practical. Same thing for, for example, like having a company in which you have a million shareholders. It's just very impractical and only a few companies actually can do that by, you know, going public and all of that. But today we can do that really. So you can do an airdrop of your token and then you have a lot of people that are a part of your organization. So I think that is a huge change. Like we are automating human organization and that's huge for a lot of use cases that we couldn't previously try out because it was so inefficient. All right. Luis Quinde, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Wow.